I can't believe that I can ask for a toothbrush and an apple and the thing shows up in two hours. And that's Amazon. And I thank Jeff Bezos every day that I use Amazon to just say, hey, way to go. You know, look what you did. Get richer. It's the best. But if he had set up a DAO, he wouldn't have that politics of envy because as a customer, I would also get some of that token. Uh, and it would be like having everybody be a shareholder of Amazon. His customers, his suppliers, his employees, him and, uh, and his community. And so I think DAOs are a solution to a lot of the schadenfreude, the, the politics of envy that we're seeing today because everyone will benefit from a successful DAO. This podcast is sponsored by Vald. Please stay tuned for more information on this amazing company later in the episode. Trust and freedom are the two key attributes that will determine which governments and companies are successful in the future. Not my words, but those of legendary investor, Tim Draper. Tim and I just had a sprawling conversation discussing Bitcoin, government adoption, the future of crypto, price predictions for Bitcoin in the not so distant future. You guys don't want to miss what he had to say. So how's everything uh, going? I heard you 30 years of, of Draper Associates. So Joe Vizzani is a friend of mine from Lunar Crush. He told me I had to congratulate you on 30 years. 30 years? Has it been 30 years? It actually, it's been, <laughs> it's been longer than that. Okay, so congratulations on more than 30 years. And then he joked that you and 30. I have at least two co-investments, which is uh, Bitcoin and Lunar Crush. <laughs> oh, terrific. Yeah. Yeah, that uh, Lunar Crush is exciting. And and Bitcoin, oh my God. Are, are we recording? Yeah, we just go. <laughs> but <Okay>. yeah. <laughs> um, I, I love it. Central African Republic, it's joined El Salvador. And actually, you know, Japan was really the first one to take uh, to accept Bitcoin as a national currency. But, um, but these other two, uh, they are looking at it as ways of pulling their people out of poverty and to create trust and freedom in their countries. And uh, so Bitcoin's going to really transform the world and sort of turn the world upside down. The, the poorest will become the richest, or have, I'm not sure how that what the term is in the Bible, but um, it looks like the poorest countries are going to become the rich countries because they they have nothing to lose and they are looking at, um, sorry, there's a, um, they, are, they are looking and saying, you know, our people don't trust our currency, you know, our people are trying to make a, um, you know, living out there. And if you don't have a currency you can trust, uh, why not adopt Bitcoin? And, uh, and boy, that is, uh, it's certainly changing El Salvador. You know, El Salvador um, with that bond issue is, um, is making it so that they don't have to uh, be at the, be completely beholden to the IMF. And that's pretty exciting. That changes the whole nature. I mean, IMF's debt has kept a lot of these people, a lot of the um, the poorest countries in 
in check for in, in poverty for a long, long time. And now there's this amazing opportunity for countries to accept Bitcoin. Entrepreneurs will go there. They'll build an economy. Um, their economy will thrive because they'll have currency they can trust. Uh, their people will be free because they won't be at the mercy of a, of a government that just prints money. And, uh, and <clears throat> so I think this is just uh, the second or third domino to fall. But of course, you know, I'm sure Malta kind of accepts Bitcoin everywhere. And I'm um, pretty sure Switzerland does. But, uh, but having the country say, we're going to take taxes in Bitcoin, we're going to um, we're going to make it accepted currency everywhere around our country. That pushes entrepreneurs to go there. Uh, I know OpenNode was one of the first country companies that moved to El Salvador and started to create their own um, economy, allowed retailers to easily accept Bitcoin. Uh, and I'm sure uh, OpenNode's on their way to uh, the Central African Republic today. Yeah, it's interesting. It took 10 months, basically, from El Salvador accepting Bitcoin as legal tender last June to now see another domino fall. I think there was this expectation that they were going to come over and over and over again. But then you saw how much pushback there was from the United States, the IMF, as you mentioned, the World Bank. I mean, this is extremely bold going in the face of these massive legacy structures that, as you said, basically intentionally offer predatory loans to keep these countries permanently down. So it really is a big deal to go from one to two. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I suspect, well, that was 10 months. I suspect that five months to the next country to uh, to start to accept Bitcoin and maybe two and a half months to the country after that so that it, um, these countries will get more and more emboldened uh, as time goes on. They know it's good for their people. Uh, and so clearly the the best leaders are going to be accepting Bitcoin. The, the, the dictators or the ones who are tied to geographic controls or, uh, or people controls, uh, they, they want their own currency because they want to, <clears throat> they, they do a lot of self-aggrandizement at the, the mercy of their people. Uh, so pe their people suffer but they become really, you know, strong relatively. But, um, but the best leaders are the ones who uh, allow their people freedom. And, uh, and with that freedom, those people become wealthy. Yeah, and it they finally have a way to opt out. Free, right, go the ahead. The freer a country is, the wealthier that country becomes. So you actually see a world where these quote unquote, third world countries, poor countries can actually theoretically flip the wealthier nations by simply accepting and adopting a Bitcoin standard. Yeah, I think countries are in a, um, a competition for us now. Um, they're in a competition for the great entrepreneurs, the money, the um, citizens of the world, the, the businesses of the world. And uh, those businesses are attracted to places who have lower taxes, lower regulation, um, 
ease, more ease of, uh, of moving money in and out of that country, fewer uh, restrictions uh, on trade. And, uh, and, the, and the businesses of the world are uh, malleable. They can move from country to country. And uh, in fact, we've even created the Draper Innovation Index, um, one of our nonprofits, and they are showing how different countries are moving up or down based on um, how attractive they are for entrepreneurs, how attractive they are for businesses to uh, move to them. And the US has been number one for many, many years, but they're being challenged. Um, Singapore and Switzerland are very close. And, uh, and then um, some of these very poor countries like El Salvador, and now it looks like Central African Republic are moving way up because um, accepting Bitcoin is, um, is proof that that country is looking for trust and freedom. And trust and freedom are where all this great economies, all the great economies are built on trust and freedom. Uh, the, you know, all you need to do is go to Korea. And right. there was a dividing line between North and South Korea. South Korea, or North Korea was Marxist, Leninist, central control, government control, government regulation, high taxes, high government authority. And uh, South Korea was free, freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of trade, open borders, democracy. Uh, and, uh, and what's happened 70 years later is the average South Korean makes 460 times what the average North Korean makes. And that's when accounting for purchasing power and the average South Korean's four inches taller than the average North Korean. Crazy. Um, Crazy. North Koreans are starving. And, uh, and China has now gone to central control. I don't understand why they have, they've totally missed why they grew the way they did. And that central control is destroying their entire food chain. <laughs> I mean, their supply chain's getting destroyed, but their food they're not feeding their people. And the way to feed your people is to set them free. It's not to control them and lock them up. I, I don't get it. I feel so badly for all those Chinese. Yeah, I mean, you talk about trust and freedom and how the United States has always been the leader for entrepreneurship and innovation. It seems like there's some cracks in that facade. I don't think your average American person trusts their government feels particularly free at the moment. And I don't think your average entrepreneur feels very welcome here, especially in the cryptocurrency industry. High taxes, major restrictions, lack of regulatory clarity. It's already happening, right? Why would you even attempt to build here? Well, it's, it's pretty, there's an, a big irony here that um, these two companies, FTX and crypto.com have taken over the um, the branding of two of the major U.S. sports facilities, 
and neither one operates in the U.S. It's unbelievable. Right. People don't realize so, FTX U.S. is basically <laughs> a subsidiary and some separate company. FTX itself yeah, so, well, cannot. Well, yeah. CFTC and the SEC argue about who's going to regulate and who's going to be tougher on, on cryptocurrencies. Uh, they, they are really destroying the opportunity for the U.S. to be the leader in cryptocurrencies. Uh, that is a shame because Bitcoin create, uh, creates so many interesting opportunities. I can imagine a time when I can raise a fund completely in Bitcoin. I can invest it completely in Bitcoin. I can be taxed completely in Bitcoin. I pay my, I invest in my companies all in Bitcoin. The companies then pay their suppliers and customers, uh, pay their suppliers and employees all in Bitcoin. And, um, and, uh, and it's all on a smart contract and a closed loop. And if I can do that, then the whole thing can be done on the blockchain. I need no accounting, no auditing, no bookkeeping, no transfer agent. It's all done right there. That can happen in a country that allows that to happen. But the U.S. is very slow to let anything happen. And, um, and I think they're making just the, the they're, they're doing just the opposite of what they did with the Internet. The Internet, they let it rip. And they said, let's just see how it goes. Um, but in the case of a lot of crypto, they've come slamming down on some of these crypto entrepreneurs before they even got going. And that really hurts, not having that ability to build something first in your own country really hurts because then you start seeing these entrepreneurs moving out. And then we don't, uh, we don't have the, the trust and freedom that we had for the last 200 years. Right. And listen, you've been early investing since those internet days. Right. What's the difference? Why are they treating this so differently than that was treated in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s? Is it because it's money? I mean, is it the reason is it because it's the money and it's they don't view it as the technology in the same way you just described that loop? Well, in the U.S., the, I think the U.S. has benefited a lot by having a strong dollar that um, the world uses or many, many countries of the world use. And they feel like they don't want to lose that. And um, Bitcoin's just better money and they're clinging to the past and think about who's in office. Um, the, uh, the average Senator is something like 73, 74 years old. They are not really anxious to allow for any changes that are going to mess with the current system. And, uh, and I think, I think age has something to do with it. I think we had a much younger Congress and, um, and a younger president. I, Bill Clinton was fairly young president. And he said, let's let this internet thing roll. And that made a big difference to the internet. Um, and now I think we've just got, um, and I can say this stuff because I'm pretty old. Um, it's, uh, I think we just have too old a government that's, that's stuck in their ways. And they're not realizing that 
anybody below 35 years old would rather have a Bitcoin than $38,000. And everyone who's 50 and older would rather, except for me, would rather have um, the, the dollars than the Bitcoin. And they don't, I think the, the younger people are seeing this incredible value to having a better currency. And uh, the older people are, uh, are not seeing that. They're just saying, oh, the dollar's been good all this time. Let's just hold on to the dollar and whatever else. <clears throat> so I'm, I am very concerned being from America. I'm very concerned from US. I know in South America, they say, what do you mean America? Um, <laughs> That's right. Which one? <laughs> Guys, I have a serious question for you. How much interest are you earning in your bank account? Is it 0.00001% or something similar? We all know by now that there's a better way in crypto, but you want to be using the best platform possible. And that is Vault. I have been using it myself now for quite a while, earning the highest interest rates in the industry. 12.68% on stablecoin, 6.7% on ETH and Bitcoin, and earning yield on a ton of other assets. But it's so much more than that, guys. They have a robust exchange. You can swap your coins, and they have the amazing automatic investment plan where you can dollar cost average, or more importantly, buy the dip automatically. We know that when the dip actually comes, nobody buys it because they're scared. Well, you can automate that process now with Vault. Guys, this platform is absolutely incredible. It does everything. They're backed by Pantera and Coinbase Ventures. You really can't ask for anything more. And if you use the link right down below, you get a 40% kickback on trading fees, 5% commission on interest payouts, and 5% commission on loan interest. Guys, sign up right now at thewolfofallstreets.info slash VALD. That's V-A-U-L-D. Do it now, seriously. But from being from the United States, it's, um, it's tough because, uh, you know, I raised my kids to be free and trusting and trustworthy and, uh, and thinking free speech, free, you know, free markets, all a little bit of freedom. And now I'm slowly but surely seeing these old people clamping down on our freedoms. And when they start saying, you can't do this, or we can't have people doing this, or take money away from that guy, or do this, um, it's an angry government instead of one that is on the side of business and on the side of progress and growing the, um, the economy, allowing the economy to grow with the, um, allowing the thousand flowers to bloom or whatever. Uh, that, <clears throat> that attitude uh, is so much more powerful that, that allowing people to be free is so much more powerful than the, the attitude of um, we have to have more rules or we have to have tighten up on this or make them pay more taxes or whatever that those things are you know short-term gain long-term lose uh, what you described is so interesting because it's sort of the everyone's life cycle right we all mock our parents for not mm -hmm. liking any of our things and then we become the parents and we start making fun of the music that the kids are listening to now and it's sort of the same thing 
normal for an individual, but highly problematic with the government, as you said. If the government remained being those younger people, it wouldn't be such a problem. But you also said everyone in my generation, except for me, right? So you obviously have been others, able to book that. A few that. others. There, there are a few right. others. Of course. But the idea, you and a few others have been able to sort of buck that trend. And you've always been that way, right? Looking at your investing career, what has allowed you to maintain that sort of, I guess, naturally contrarian view and to be self-aware enough to not fall into the trap that I just described? So it's, I, I wouldn't say it's contrarian so much as um, uh, uh, vision toward the future, because early, I, I meet with a bunch of entrepreneurs. I mean, for a while there, I think it was like eight entrepreneurs a day. And I, every one of them gave me a view of what the future looked like. And so I started, even though I don't really know what's going on right now, I have a pretty good view of what five to 10 years forward is going to look like. And so I'm always projecting out five to 10 years. I'm not thinking of what it was like. I'm not a, you know, I, I read history, but I, I'm not a historian. I am really always thinking of what, what's the future gonna look like. And so I get, um, you know, I'll get nervous when I see uh, a government working against the best interest of these visionary entrepreneurs, I get excited when a government starts saying, hey, we want to attract these entrepreneurs. Um, and, I, um, and I'm always sort of thinking, well, what's next? Uh, and, and I think that is partly just because that's my job. Uh, and so my job has allowed me to always be projecting into the future. And I think that may be why I, I'm a big believer in Bitcoin and in cryptocurrencies and in DeFi and in NFTs and in board apes and you name it. I, I love it because it is where the future lies. And so I'm always focused on where that future lies. I'm excited about like more digitized medicine. I'm excited about um, new forms of, uh, of governance where people are um, operating in, you know, people are calling it web 3.0. I, I just said this new decentralized world that was, um, that used to be tied to these geographic borders and now potentially governance can be managed up there in cyberspace or a big part of governance can. Well, it's interesting. It's one thing to be early, which you described, and looking five to 10 years ahead. It's a whole other thing to be early and right, right? <laughs> which most people are not. And the third thing, it's another thing to be early, right, and actually hold those investments through that entire time, right? There are so many people who were right about Bitcoin in 2009, 2010, but sold when it was $1,000 because it was $1,000 and they had gotten it for almost nothing. So that combination, I think, is extremely rare. Well, that, um, that's a luxury once, um, once I've made enough money to sort of keep the um, wheels on the bus. Um, I, I do have the luxury to hold on. Uh, sometimes people need to sell. They need that $1,000 so that they can go, you know, whatever it is, you know, pay for groceries. Um, 
but and boy, people are having trouble getting groceries in China. So I feel very sad for them. Uh, and that's because of that government control. It gets in the way. You got to let people be free. Um, the uh, so uh, yeah, I've been able to hold on. I most of the mis investment mistakes I've made were in selling too soon. You know, trusting myself to uh, you know make those early investments and hold on to those early investments. But then when the when the world catches on, for me to uh, let it go and. Uh, you know, where I did hold on to all my Bitcoin, I let go of my Tesla stock <laughs> way early. So did I. So, if it's of any consequence, much smaller so position, I, but so did I. I made a big mistake there. And um, I, and the reason I did was I was thinking everybody's going to be using Uber. Nobody's going to want to buy any new cars. That was my, my concept. But then that the, might be, the, you might be proven up. correct eventually, by the way. That, that doesn't mean yeah. you were wrong. It just means you were uh, a little early. <laughs> For the moment, I am. I, um, because the pandemic showed up and everybody wanted their own car and nobody wanted to go Uber anymore. But, um, but then I, did, I also didn't expect Elon to be, you know, moving that whole business into the energy field and um, and there were so many, so many aspects to it that I just missed. And I probably should have kept better um, tabs and relationship with Elon as I moved forward. But, uh, you know, I, I got to run my business, too. Well, apparently he's going to buy Twitter or that might by the time this comes out, he may have already bought Twitter because as yeah. we're recording this, this is the day they're negotiating it. You were an early investor in Twitter. So what do you make of that? I think it's fantastic. Um, Anything Elon um, touches, what he it does beautifully, turns to gold. And the reason is he, he gives direction to a company. And that direction is usually very visionary and then attracts the best people in the world to go do it. And then he sets them free. He trusts them and he sets them free. And so he did that with SpaceX. He said, hey, we're going to Mars. He attracted all the best entrepreneurs, all the best engineers in the world because they're going, hey, how are we going to get to Mars? You know, and they're all thinking about it. Then they all join him. And then he says, okay, this is what we want. <laughs> a rocket to take people to Mars um, and back. And, uh, and so let's get going on it. And every once in a while, he'll say, okay, well, first we're gonna land on the space station, or first we're gonna have a rocket that just lands um, back where it started. And then we're gonna have one land on the space station. And then we're gonna, you know, little by little, he's gonna get us all there. Um, but he try, it's trust and freedom again. And so the people who work at Twitter are going to be trusted and set free to do great things. And he will make that company an amazing, amazing success. Um, and hey, he's uh, he's a believer in free speech, so I think that's. I mean, when you when you Jack Dorsey set off to build that business so that people could speak, so that people were free to speak, and then slowly but surely the political forces 
cramped down on him and made it so that they were starting to regulate what people said or or gauge their ranking on how how much they believed in this or that 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 um, speech control that muting of society is incredibly unhealthy uh, you lose the benefit of a debate i mean if if you get into a debate both both parties learn something and you, you come out with with an outcome that's better um, but if you don't allow that debate to happen uh, everybody walks off a cliff together uh, and you're so you're way better off with free speech i know jack dorsey believed in free speech and i know elon musk believes in free speech so i think that's going to be very good and very healthy for twitter you talk about being five ten years ahead that's like a hundred years in crypto right <laughs> but yeah. what do you think what do you think that the next big thing in crypto will be i mean we talked about all the ways that it's being stifled mm -hmm. sort of here but we have you know nfts metaverse DeFi, play to earn now we have exercise to earn right i mean all these things that kind of we didn't necessarily expect coming so for you what's the next big thing that you're excited about well what i've noticed is generally technologies are first um, taken, uh, uptaken by consumers, and then they move to the enterprise. So I think you'll start seeing NFTs go from consumer to enterprise, where now uh, your diploma and your driver's license and your employment history and your medical records and all that stuff will go on to an NFT, and that'll be sort of a new direction for NFTs. Um, DeFi will go from the consumer speculating, moving up and down to the institution, moving, um, moving money around. And so there'll be more of that. I think, um, yeah, play to earn. It's, I mean, that's definitely the consumer. The consumer is going play to earn. Well, eventually you might start seeing DAOs that um, are created that now this is something that our government is just never going to get around to understanding, but, uh, but a DAO, a DAO can solve all these social problems. Um, you could have a DAO that, that benefits shareholders or the DAO owners benefits customers who get DAO, who get the token for buying the product benefits suppliers for supplying to that enterprise, benefits employees for being a part of that enterprise. So benefits the community around which that enterprise operates. Um, and you would have, you would lose all this politics of envy where people are mad at Jeff Bezos for making so much money. Um, I mean, I can't believe that I can ask for a toothbrush and an apple and the thing shows up in two hours and that's Amazon. And I thank Jeff Bezos every day that I use Amazon to just say, Hey, way to go. You know, look what you did. Get richer. It's the best. But if he had set up a DAO, he wouldn't have that politics of envy because as a customer, I would also get some of that token. Uh, and it would be like having everybody be a shareholder of Amazon. It's 
customers, his suppliers, his employees, him, and uh, and his community. And so I think DAOs are a solution to a lot of the Schadenfreude, the the politics of envy that we're seeing today, because everyone will benefit from a successful DAO, and that's that could really change things. So. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of this stuff that's happened in the consumer world is gonna to move to the enterprise world. And we're gonna see some really interesting, fun things happen. I also think that, um, you know, I always say that, uh, that when I invest, I'm always looking for industries that are um, monopolies or oligopolies and um, have gotten lazy so that the service they provide is not worth the money we pay, but we're stuck paying them. Uh, and so whenever that's there, and that was, you know, I mean, you can imagine which ones that we like going after. It's the banks and the insurance companies and whatever else. Well, now government is one of those. They're providing bad service at a high cost. They're going to have to. They're going to have to compete. They're going to have to improve. They're going to have to be accountable to their citizens, or we will move. We'll move to the Central African Republic. We'll move to El Salvador. We'll move to Japan. We'll move to a country that that is encouraging uh, that freedom and a country that trusts its citizens. So this is really going to. I mean, boy, the next ten years. Yeah, I, I can imagine the next five years are going to be very brutal, whether it's through war or through, uh, you know, uh, inflation, governments that don't trust their people or governments that that are um, old uh, or uh, controlling. And they're going to be having their big last roar of the dying lion. And then you're you're going to see the the battle's going to come with the, these governments that are from um, little countries that sort of say, hey, I, I want my people to win. Uh, so the good governments are going to be rising and the bad governments are going to be falling. Uh, and if the bad governments don't shape up and become more free and more trusting, uh, they are going to see the, the good governments um, rise uh, economically for the next 40 years and, and pass them. It's interesting what you described with the governments, the DAOs, basically all of the things you're excited about, about the future. It's all about aligning incentives, right? Everybody just yes. has an incentive to win and there's really no mm -hmm. incentive to attack the system or violate it. That's the beautiful thing about Bitcoin, right? Being a bad actor just doesn't pay. <laughs> right it doesn't pay off it's a bad idea if you destroy you know even if you 51 percent attack the bitcoin network which won't happen it would be worth nothing and you would basically hack and a you network would have taken your everybody's line percent to zero yeah right. incentives are aligned i mean you said do you think bitcoin can hit two hundred fifty thousand by the end of this year do you think that that's still a possibility yeah um by the end of this year or early next year has been my i hedged it a little bit about three years ago you're allowed um, to get a couple months here okay. <laughs> because because I didn't know how quickly things like open node and uh, crypto would permeate uh, the system. But once they do, uh, then 
um, it's going to really be the floodgates will open. And and one thing that will possibly likely happen, and I don't know exactly when, is that the women will uh, will ex start using Bitcoin. And that um, it was one in fourteen. Bitcoin holders that was a woman, and now it's something like one in six. And I think it'll eventually be even. And the way it's going to be even is women control about 80% of retail spending. And retailers haven't yet realized that they can save 2%. And, 2 and they usually run on very thin margin, margins. So that might like double their profits. Um, they can save 2% just by accepting Bitcoin instead of taking a bank issued credit card. Right, credit card. Um, and that can change everything. Uh, and all of a sudden all the women will have Bitcoin wallets and they will be buying things with Bitcoin and, uh, and uh, you're gonna see a Bitcoin price that'll just blow right through my $250,000 estimate. Right. I think it's going much, much higher down the road. You talk about five yeah. or 10 years. We're not talking about 250,000 anymore. No. <laughs> I'll be very disappointed if we're not seeing seven-figure uh, Bitcoin in the next yeah. five, 10 years. But I guess that's a, that'll be a topic for our next podcast when we revisit <laughs> it. So, Tim, thank you so much for your time. I, I really, truly appreciate it. Again, congratulations on uh, more than 30 years and everything that uh, you've accomplished and for presenting this vision for us of, of, of what's possible. Terrific, Scott. Thanks for having me on the show. Happy to do it whenever, whenever you think it's worth it to bring me back. When we hit 250 uh, in three months, right? <laughs> okay. Well, three. Now it's like nine to 12. I'm just moving summer. it up to summer. I'm moving the production up to summer so that we can uh, talk sooner. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. Okay, terrific. Good talking with you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you haven't already left a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do that now. Spotify just added ratings, so please go ahead and click that five star. I'll see you guys next time.